Dietz and Watson's been making meats and cheeses the right way since forever. What's that mean? It means never cutting corners, ever. It means cooking, not processing. It means our Virginia brand ham that's cooked to perfection, then twice baked to layer the flavors. It takes more time, but you can taste the difference. We come to work every day to do it the right way, even if it's the hard way. Because if it's not right for us, it's not right for you. Dietz and Watson, it's a family thing since 1939. Without the ones like you who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you with professional-grade industrial supplies. Count on real-time product availability and fast delivery. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. Hello, Internet. Riddle World's Josh Norris here with the Riddle World Football Podcast. This is a special one. Episode number 100. I know my mom has listened to every single one. Well, probably even not her. But if you have, I really appreciate it. Uh, just over a year into the podcast, yes, 100 episodes. We're just getting started with it. Um, and I appreciate everyone who has listened, who has gotten back to us and given us free feedback. It really does help. And it's much appreciated, especially those of you who love us even more than that. Leave us a review on Apple Podcasts, on Stitcher, on whatever platform you use. I actually read them. And in a later podcast, I will certainly give you shout-outs. Because that's what we do here. And again, five-star reviews, if you will, if you really like us. But today is another special episode, like I said, because Evan Silva is on the other end of the Skype conversation to break down his May Top 150 fantasy rankings that he posted on the NFL section on Roto-World guess a week or so ago evan what's up buddy how are you what's up josh so it's late saturday night i'm keeping my voice down because my kid is sleeping in the other room i don't want to wake her Uh josh is at home recording a podcast at age uh, 27 (laughs) i'm 28 dude all right i'm I'm, I'm old uh and it's 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 10 15 eastern on a saturday evening thank you for putting me on the spot here Evan, that's so kind of you. Uh, but yes, this is true. And I'm sure none of you are surprised about that. Uh, all right, Evan. So like I said, your 150 is out. We're going to kind of keep it to 100, but later on give you some later round guys, either take in redraft leagues or think about, or MFLs. And I'm going to keep bringing up MFLs um, that I keep posting on Twitter. And that's kind of what my experience has been thus far. Let's start with one of the top names, Evan. Um, at number six, you have Cowboys running back Ezekiel Elliott. Now, number six obviously isn't early, it isn't late, but I thought it was interesting because so many believe he's a top three selection with Le'Veon Bell, with David Johnson, and Ezekiel Elliott fitting in there. But you have him behind receivers like Antonio Brown, Odell Beckham, and Julio Jones. Um, is, is there kind of a, a somewhat of a drop-off to you, and do you just feel more comfortable with those receivers and why? So I must admit that my my rankings right now are very much impacted by my thought process in MFL 10 best ball leagues where we are drafting players right now and we're locking in a roster and we can make no moves from that point on. Yeah. So any player with any sort of off-field I don't even want to say that he has off-field issues, but any sort of off-field question mark scares me a little bit, number one. So you're being super safe right now is what you're saying. Super, super risk-averse. Yeah. No question. And so that bumps him down just a couple of spots, you know, for me. I mean, yes, I'm taking Antonio Brown over him, and usually I'm taking Odell Beckham over him. Julio Jones, it's like – you know, he's got enough question marks now coming off surgery on March 6th that those guys are pretty much interchangeable to me as the wide receiver three and the running back three at numbers five and six. But yeah, I'm not, I'm not taking Ezekiel Elliott over Antonio Brown at this stage of the off season. Um, and then there are some question marks on the offensive line in Dallas, which 
is not something that anybody else is talking about, but they lost two starters. Ronald Leary was paid big money to go to Denver, uh, their stud run-blocking left guard, and uh, Doug Free retired. Doug Free was not a difference maker, but he was a guy who started since he entered the league with Dallas, I mean, for almost a decade, if, if not a decade plus, and he was a reliable guy. So what the Cowboys ha- have had for many years were – five offensive line starters who were competent to dominant and now they are replacing two i think that everyone has optimism about lyle collins and for good reason i remember you loved him coming out of lsu yeah he was my top Um, tackle that year and obviously played guard until then until he's an excellent talent he has never played right tackle in his career he's going to be asked to play right tackle theoretically his skill set i mean he should be a great great right tackle but he has not been great in the pros in his limited opportunities and now he's learning an entirely new position i mean he's a question mark and then their starting left guard if the season were to begin today would be jonathan cooper who has been cut by (laughs) the browns the cardinals and the patriots over the last calendar year and I mean, you know, you, you mention anything like this and Cowboys fans will, will come at you on Twitter and let you know that, you know, the, the, the line is going to be great. You know, we can uh, protect Cooper or we can cover him up. And Lyle Collins is, you know, a surefire all pro at right tackle. But that, that's not really how I think. I think that this is a little bit of a question mark. And so is Ezekiel Elliott's off-field enough that I'm going to have him as the number six overall player as opposed to the number three or four overall player. Let's think bigger picture here, Evan, because the entire industry last offseason or last fantasy season talked about zero running back, right? And this year, almost unanimously in every draft that I've gone through, it's three running backs lead off each and every draft. It's kind of an overcorrection thing, and I'm not questioning necessarily the talents of these three at all. I mean, we all know all three are great talents, but it's it's shifting a lot, at least the common drafts, the common sentiment is you take these three running backs, and then the run and wide receivers go, then you take that second tier of running backs. The biggest difference makers in fantasy are Le'Veon Bell and David Johnson because they operate as not only running backs in fantasy, but they also operate as receivers. I mean, they are they're complete monsters. Mm-hmm. Ezekiel Elliott is not quite on their level as a receiver because the Cowboys run the ball so much. And I mean, they have, you know, a dual threat quarterback and they just they don't put up big time passing volume. And Ezekiel Elliott is not always, you know, racking up those easy check downs where, you know, Le'Veon Bell and David Johnson can have games where they catch seven, eight passes, nine passes. Ezekiel Elliott is not in position to do that. I mean, I was huge on Ezekiel Elliott last year. Got a lot of flack for it. I mean, people were, oh, he's a rookie. How can you rank him that high? And I mean, he, he paid dividends. It got me worried there for a while during training camp when he had that hamstring injury. Hamstring injuries are terrifying, uh, especially for a running back. But, you know, I'm not ready to put him up into that tier with uh, with Le'Veon Bell and David Johnson. He's he's not there yet. Cowboys fans, his Twitter handle is at Evan Silva. All right. So we mentioned the five wide receivers that are being consistently uh, selected as the top five. Antonio Brown, Odell Beckham, Julio Jones, A.J. Green and Mike Evans. Then there's a question who wide receiver six is. And for you, Evan, that's your number 11 overall fantasy player. And that's T.Y. Hilton at wide receiver six. Just ahead of Jordy Nelson, ahead of Michael Thomas, and ahead of Des Bryant. What places him in the position ahead of those guys like I just mentioned? So this is really splitting hairs here. Um, But I know that people love to hear discussion about the elite fantasy players. It's just, you know, one through... I don't know, 18 probably on this list with number 18 being Rob Gronkowski. You know, you really could shuffle these guys almost any which way. And it's personal preference. It's personal preference. Of course it is. Of course it is. Uh, But for me, T.Y. Hilton, I mean, he's several years younger than Jordy Nelson, who turns 32 later this month. Um, He led the NFL in receiving yards last season. He is more proven than Michael Thomas. 
So it really comes down to that. I mean, I have these guys, wide receiver six, wide receiver seven, wide receiver eight. I think they're all great fantasy picks. I would be happy with getting any of them in my fantasy draft. But for me, T.Y. Hilton is the wide receiver six. Jordy at age 32 is the wide receiver seven. And Michael Thomas is the wide receiver eight. Now, Michael Thomas, he established himself as a rookie, as Drew Brees' number one receiver. He's so good. The problem is that people are assuming that he all of a sudden is going to become a target monster, and there really has never been a true target monster in a Drew Brees offense. Mm-hmm. What One of the things that has made Drew Brees so great over the years and able to overcome a lot of his physical limitations is that he is such a good progression passer, and he is always a guy who's going to throw to the open man. Um and, I mean, they've got Willie Sneed. They've got Ted Ginn, who we're going to talk about a little bit later in the podcast. Uh, they've got running backs that can catch passes. And I don't think that Michael Thomas is going to push for you know, the same number of targets that a guy like T.Y. Hilton or A.J. Green or Julio or Antonio Brown or Odell Beckham will be getting this season. Fitz843 came at me on Twitter. No, I'm just going to – he just asked me a question, Evan, to ask you – and that's why you're kind of lower than others on Dez. You mentioned the top 18. You actually have Dez at number 20. Um, he asked why that is, because really the only other receiving options um, are obviously Jason Witten and Cole Beasley. Is it because the volume here and the volume in this instance is targets? Yeah, due to the nature of the Cowboys' run-first offense, Dez Bryant has really another guy that has never been a big-time you know, top five target receiver. I have him as a wide receiver 10, which I think is actually pretty aggressive. I mean, he has not even finished within the top 20 fantasy receivers over the past two years. Yeah. And a lot of, the, of that has been due to injury. But, and, and I'm not big on trying to predict injuries. Like, I just, I can't predict injuries. That's not something that I'm capable of or like feel comfortable doing. We can talk about a guy's durability and how it you know may you know negatively impact our our outlook but we don't know who's going to play all the games we don't know who's going to miss one or two games um and when guys do miss games you can plug another guy in to your lineup so i mean it's not like you're getting zeros when guys only play in 14 of 16 games you're not getting zeros for that for those remaining two games i mean i think that this is a pretty aggressive ranking yeah on brian with that said I'm not getting him in any drafts using these <laughs> rankings. So, and I'm I'm pretty comfortable that with that because if you look at his career split stats with and without Tony Romo, he's just he's he's like a, a mid to low end wide receiver too. Yeah. Um. I mean, maybe I should I might I might move him down after this podcast. Ooh. So we're going the opposite way. Sorry about that. Fits eight four three. All right. So from twenty two to twenty four, you have three these three names. You have Todd Gurley. You have DeAndre Hopkins and you have Allen Robinson. Three major disappointments uh, prior to last season. We saw it coming with Todd Gurley in many ways just because that offensive line and that offense. Um, DeAndre Hopkins, not so much just because we couldn't anticipate just how awful Brock Osweiler is at football. And then Allen Robinson, everyone's darling in 2015, was the opposite in 2016. And some might want to blame that. I'm Blake Bortles, but if you isolate Allen Robinson's play, it's not like he was shining as an individual either. He certainly left some plays out there as well. So, I mean, you, you still have three, if you if you want to go by 12-team leagues or 12 picks in a round, all three are top two-round selections. So there has to be some level of comfort here for you, Evan, with these three names. This range of the draft is just so dicey, and it may be the range of the draft that really ends up determining winners in fantasy this year. It's 20 through 32. I'm just going to read all the names from 20 to 32. All right. 20 is Des Bryant, who we just, just discussed. Hasn't even been a top 20 fantasy receiver since 2014. Amari Cooper, a guy who we're always hoping rises, but he has not yet ascended to that level. I don't know if he ever will. As long as Michael Crabtree is producing at a high level, Todd Gurley, Hopkins, Allen Robinson, all huge busts, Last year, we know the talent is theoretically there, uh, is the situation. Devontae Adams lived on touchdowns yeah. last year. He's at 25. Um, Leonard Fournette, rookie, Lamar Miller, Devont- 
or Dante Foreman added, you know, kind of disappointed last season. Sammy Watkins in a gorgeous situation this year, but we just can't trust the foot. Terrell Pryor moving from Cleveland to Washington sounds good, but free agent receivers don't always produce up to the level that we anticipate. Carlos Hyde, you know, just a a special runner at times, but question marks about his game and how the new regime feels about him. Demarius Thomas starting to get a little bit older question marks about his quarterback, Brandon cooks. How many targets is he going to get? So this is 20 through 32. Yeah. I I kind of want to skip almost like all of those names, be perfectly honest in drafts and just like move on to a couple rounds later. (laughs) I know, but in almost every draft you're forced to almost choose one of those guys. Yep. Good point. Because after 32, you're moving on to the Larry Fitzgeralds, Golden Tate, Jarvis yeah. Landry, Emmanuel Sanders. I mean, we we like all those picks, but those guys are not high ceiling picks and not guys that are probably going to win our league for us. Whereas in that 20 to 32 range, I think four or five guys probably end up being league winners, even though right now trying to sort those guys out is, is really, t- really difficult. Let's talk about some of those rookie running backs um, this season. You have Leonard Fournette at 26, like you mentioned, Chris McCaffrey at 40, Joe Mixon at 41, and Dalvin Cook at 49. Uh, In a MFL that you recently did with a number of industry people, you actually went three rookie running backs in a row. I believe it was, what, Fournette, Mixon, and then Dalvin? Is that correct? That's interesting. That's an interesting strategy to take, obviously. And each is kind of offering something different and in totally different situations for many of them. What you just mentioned is, is interesting because I would feel much more comfortable taking Joe Mixon at 41 than I would Leonard Fournette at 26, even though we absolutely are, are fairly certain what Leonard Fournette's options and role will be as a rookie. That's the thing that Leonard Fournette brings to the table ahead of the other guys is just guaranteed volume, you know, assuming that he stays healthy. I mean, he has a chance to, like, compete for the league lead in carries. They have a great defense in Jacksonville. I think that there is a chance that he will be used in the passing game more than we anticipate based on his college stats. Um, I mean, there, you know, there's similar to Jordan Howard last year, right? Because Jordan Howard entered the NFL with like 24 receptions or something and had more than that during his rookie year. So coming out of LSU, we know that he has some passing game limitations. However, they use the number four overall pick on him. And that, you know, and this is something that we talked about before the draft. We knew that Leonard Fournette was pretty much guaranteed to land with a team where he was going to be the focal point of the offense, where the team was going to run their offense through him. And that is going to be the case with him in Jacksonville. And Jacksonville's defense is just sick on paper and should be able to keep them in games. And his volume is just so, so bankable. Yeah, and I think the, Doug Marone even came out and said that he has to earn his uh, his snaps this year, which is just bullshit. Like, that's not true. We know he's going to get all the snaps and the touches. Just trying to keep the young kid motivated. <laughs> I mean, his his weight fluctuated from 240 to 228 yeah. uh, from the combine to his pro day. I mean, you know, he's a young kid. I don't think it's – I mean, I know it seems so silly, and, I mean, I don't buy it for a second, but I understand what Doug Marone is trying to do. Um, and, and I'm sure you all follow Joe Goodberry out there, uh, and if not, you should. One of the best on Twitter, just about the Bengals and about everything else. But he, he talks about how Joe Mixon will almost certainly lead the team in touches and carries the season. And Evan, I mean, I'm I'm a big fan of Joe Mixon's talent, but I'm super worried about that offensive line. Like that offensive line could be absolutely horrible this year. But if if someone has the talent to kind of win in isolation at the running back position behind that offensive line on that team, it's certainly Joe Mixon. I quickly want to mention at number 51, you have Greg Olson, and I've been landing Greg Olson as like as my first tight end in round five in every single MFL I do out there, and I'm just shocked that he's – not shocked that he's still on the board because round five is kind of early for a tight end in many cases, but I, I don't know if you can get more dependable than, than him at the position. Uh, let's go to 58, Evan. Danny Woodhead, you have him as your running back 20. If I'm not mistaken, 58 is much higher than his current ADP. I didn't look up his current ADP because that's the research I do on this show. But I just remember him going later and later. But obviously now, because people like you and others talk about him, he's going earlier and earlier. Why are you so in love with Danny Woodhead this year? Yeah, so the, the ADP that we are referring to 
refers to MFL10s, which are inhabited by fantasy players who read Roto World and, you know, pay attention to Mike Clay and, you know, listen to the podcasts and, you know, I mean, they, they're uh, way ahead of the game. They play Dynasty, you know, they probably play DFS. I mean, they're very, very in tune. And typically this is a big part of their life. And so they are going to be better than your average Joe who just picks up, you know, a, an outdated magazine in August and right. goes to their draft and, you know, gets drunk at their draft. And, and takes you know, Le- uh, LeGarrette Blunt in round six. <laughs> right. Um, so these guys are, are pretty sharp. I mean, they're they're going to be missing on on some players at times, but these guys are, are smarter than your average bear when it comes to fantasy uh, fantasy decision making. I think that Danny Woodhead right now is going in the eighth round of MFL tens, and I think that that's very appropriate. Um, I'm higher on him, however, because I think that he has monster upside with the Ravens. Historically, in Baltimore, Joe Flacco has been a progression-reading quarterback. Obviously, he's not a running threat, and he's very willing to dump off to the backs. Um, You know, you can go back to Ray Rice. Uh, Over the last two years, the Ravens have uh, more running back – or the second most running back targets of any team in football. That has a lot to do with quarterback play. Um, Danny Woodhead is – sort of risky because he's older and he has missed, I think, two of the last three seasons due to injuries or the greater portion of two of the last three seasons due to injuries. And he's coming off an ACL tear. Uh, But he also, I mean, the Ravens thought well enough of his health to give him, uh, I think, three, almost three and a half million dollars guaranteed in the first year. And Kenneth Dixon is suspended for weeks one through four. So his competition in the backfield and really, it's not even competition because they essentially play different positions. They're definitely different roles uh, than, than Terrence West. His competition is Terrence West, who is a replacement level running back. Uh, and Danny Woodhead fills a, a totally different role from him. So I think that you pick up Danny Woodhead, he is going to be an absolute starter for you in the first four weeks, and it can be better from there. I mean, we think back to this was a very similar situation with Spencer Ware. Mm -hmm. last year Mm -hmm. where um, we knew that we were going to get early season starts out of him. And then he ended up being a guy who we could use pretty much every week throughout the season. Now he was not a he was a league winner early and not a league winner late, but Danny Woodhead is a different type of back than Spencer Ware, And he's a guy who, especially in a PPR league, I think can be a difference maker, certainly in the first month and quite possibly for the, for the duration of the season. I mean, people make a lot of assumptions about guys coming back, back from suspensions. You know, Kenneth Dixon is going to have to earn himself, earn his way back into the Ravens' good graces, especially if Danny Woodhead and Terrence West play well early, play well in the first month of the year. Yeah, Spoonie asked on Twitter, if Kenneth Dixon does come back, don't you think that he's going to be the starter after week four? But you kind of answered it there that, look, we're going off what we know, and what we know is Danny Woodhead is the most talented running back for the first four weeks, and then we go and move on from there, and especially because how specialized his role can be, at least, at the very least, like you just said, and, and he's talented in, in that one area, and could be more. Yeah, like um, said. Uh, we had a guest writer from Rotoviz during the off season, uh, Charles Kleisenkugel. Um, I know. I guess, <laughs> I butcher, I that sounds like a beer, man. Name. I'm not a beer drinker, but Kleisenkugel sounds like a beer. He had he his his Twitter name is Spider Two Y Banana. Oh uh, yeah, he's a, he, yeah. He's he's a Rotoviz OG. Yeah. Um, and he wrote an article about players who have been suspended. And it's really from a dynasty angle, but it's. It's much more often that you think that these guys just don't come back. Yeah. And, I mean, I, I don't think that Kenneth Dixon is not going to come back. I do think he's going to come back. But there is a chance that he doesn't come back or that when he does come back, you know, the Ravens are so fed up with him or, or they're doing well with their current backs and yeah. he just, you know, he comes back to the inactives list. I mean, there's, there are no guarantees with, with Kenneth Dixon. Evan, I've been taking Martavis Bryant as my wide receiver three at a very, very high rate. I think he's going a bit earlier now than he was two weeks ago. 
Um, but for MFLs, at least that platform and that format, Evan, I, I don't think you can really have a better home run swing than a player like Martavis Bryant, who, when we know he's on the field, he's outstanding, right? He's one of the true difference makers. And I'm taking him, I'm not sure if I'm taking him earlier. I am a little bit earlier than, than your ranked number 62. But again, what this round, is someone. What round are you taking him in? Uh, at times, it's round five. At times, Ooh. yeah, I know it's early, but again, I, I feel like, Evan, I can hit on some of those round 12, 13, 14 wide receivers and kind of get something back there. Then if, you know, Martavis puts up a zero all season, sure, it's a lot to overcome, but I could also get, you know, 20 plus scoring weeks, multiple weeks with him on the field. I think that's a fine strategy. I have no Martavis Bryant. And and I am worried that like Evan, if I get him in every single one, then that's bad strategy, right? I need to mix in with him some and not because he truly is a home run swing, like I said. Yeah, I, you know, I, I try to attack this from a risk averse approach yeah. at this stage of the off season, but you know, he's a guy who we're going to re- be relying very heavily on, uh, like beat reports. You know, yeah. beat reporters are going to dictate very much where his ADP lands and where our expectations for him land because he is absolutely a week-to-week difference maker when he's in the lineup. But they just used a second-round pick on Juju Smith-Schuster, which suggests that they are certainly not counting on him and maybe almost betting against him. But but we we will see. I mean, look, if – Martavis Bryant is ready ready to roll. He's definitely playing over Juju Smith-Schuster. Yeah, it might be one of those scenarios where, like, if he offers anything, it's extra. And like you said, it's not in their thought process to necessarily rely on him, which it's completely understandable. You know, anyone that gets in the program, especially misses an entire season, if we're being honest, should not be relied on by an NFL team. So let me throw this back to you. Yeah. They have nothing at tight end right now. Right. And although I think Jesse James is mildly underrated, He's like he's like he's like Scott Chandler, you know. I mean, he, I, I think he's he mildly be, underrated when he's like forty five hundred on Fanduel on opening week, right? Yeah, all right, yeah, that, <laughs> that's a great way to put it. Great way to put it. All right, so let's say they have Martavis, AB, and Juju Smith ready to roll. Let's say that Juju Smith looks good in preseason. You know, who do they run out AB in the slot and Martavis at good like, question and Juju Smith at Z? I mean, they. They have some pretty intriguing options, I think. But they, they have to get their best talent on the field because they're kind of deficient at tight end. Yep, that's a good question. Uh, let's go to 64. You have Mark Ingram versus 73, Adrian Peterson. Uh, this is kind of another scenario where we're going to rely on information as it comes uh, throughout the offseason. And who knows, these might flip for you. Um, it's not like Mark Ingram was completely relied on by his team down the stretch last season, Evan, and then they also bring in Adrian Peterson. And just for me, sitting you know this far away from New Orleans and not being in tune with the team, and to me it seems like, Evan, if they're going to bring in Adrian Peterson, he's going to be the starter. Uh, they wouldn't bring him in as a backup, but who knows? Uh, so are you staying away from both of these? But you do have almost 10 picks difference between Mark Ingram at 64, like I said, and Adrian Peterson at 73. So when I started the MFL season, one of my highest owned running backs was Mark Ingram. So I've just taken like, I took like a body shot when they signed (laughs) Adrian Peterson and then like a shot to the head when they traded up for Alvin Kamara, (laughs) you know, so I'm not really uh, drafting Mark Ingram anymore. Anymore. (laughs) I don't even know where I would feel comfortable taking him, like maybe in the eighth round, but he never makes it there. Yeah. Um, Adrian Peterson is a guy that I would be willing to draft because he will sometimes make it to the eighth and ninth rounds. It's just such a tough backfield to sort out. And I have Mark Ingram. So this is these are PPR rankings. I have him at RB23 and Adrian Peterson at RB27. And the reason that Mark Ingram is higher than Adrian Peterson here is because he at least has the capability of catching passes. And, I mean, there's very much a possibility that Alvin Kamara is simply not ready to get on the field in New Orleans. Um, But how they spoke of him, like they 
he has a role defined already. Like this, this debate between Ingram and Peterson will rage on throughout the entire offseason. But it seems like already that Kamara like has this receiving option and role, and it's a vital piece of their offense. They even called it. I remember falling for the same thing with CJ Spiller. <laughs> yeah, no, it's a good point. It's a good point. It really is. Okay, let's go to number 90. You have Mike Wallace, at least previously you did, Evan, and that was wide receiver 46. Um, I know Mike Wallace has been the darling of fantasy Twitter in the last week or two, uh, so obviously his ADP changes, and because of that, I'm certain that your ranking changes because of that as well. A lot of this has to do with staying in front of ADP. I mean, if, if there's somebody that I really like, I'm going to rank them significantly higher than their ADP. And Mike Wallace was ranked 29 spots ahead of his MFL 10 ADP. And I think like 9 to 11 spots ahead of his wide receiver ADP, according to MFL 10s in my initial rankings that I released, I don't know, a week and a half ago. So I had to move them up because, I mean, you know, it, it starts with Reeves. Yeah. <laughs> uh, who, who now is a full-time Rotorold employee. I celebrated and with, a, with it, a glass of wine, by the way. It, it, it trickles up to Matthew Berry. I mean, Matthew Berry is now tweeting about how Mike Wallace's ADP was out of whack. So, I mean, I had to move him up, you know. Yeah. Um, he's still a guy that you want to get. With that said, if his ADP starts to get out of whack, you know, I think he becomes a guy to fade. I mean, I have been in um, some drafts recently where he's he's gone in the seventh round, and I think that there is still a strong possibility that the Ravens go out and get another receiver. I mean, look at their receiver core right now. Like they are they would be starting Michael Campanero as a slot receiver. If the season began today, they would be relying on Brashad Perryman to be in every snap receiver. And look, you know, I I loved Brashad Perryman coming out of UCF. And, um, you know, I I thought he had a great talent, but he is not. I I don't think that he's based on what he did last year. I don't think he's ready to be in every snap receiver. And Mike Wallace is what, 31, 32 years old. Um, And then they added Danny Woodhead. Uh, who I think has a chance to be a, a target vacuum, and they changed their OC from Mark Tressman uh, to Marty Morningweg, two of the pass-happiest coaches of our generation, to Greg Roman, one of the run-heaviest coaches of our generation. Um, and I think that there's still a, a real good chance that they add another receiver. So I, I think they just run out there with 13 personnel, Evan, just with Dennis Pitta, Max Williams, and Crockett Gilmore. I think that's and, the... And, and, and Darren Waller and Ben Watson. <laughs> And Nick Boyd. 15 personnel. <laughs> yeah. So, I mean, look, Mike Wallace was a value at one point, and he could become overvalued within a week. I mean, his ADP literally, I think, is going to shift from, like, the 11th round until, like, the 7th round within about a an 18-day span. By the way, shout out to those people who, when anyone mentions 12 personnel – they say that that's illegal and it's too many men on the field. Uh, <laughs> so we mentioned Mark Ingram and Adrian Peterson at 64 and 73. Let's do the wide receiver version of that, Evan, with Kenny Britt at number 80, which is wide receiver 42 for you, and Corey Coleman, number 99, wide receiver 48. I think many, and I think the ADP says this as well, that Corey Coleman is going earlier than that and, er- and ahead of Kenny Britt. Um, I'm guessing here you're going with the veteran presence and the new signing in Kenny Britt, even though we don't know necessarily who's throwing either the football. Yeah, and Corey Coleman, I mean, he's my type of player, and I know you loved him coming out of college, and I loved him coming out of college. I wish we would have seen more. Yeah, and, and even when he was on the field, Evan, it's not like he showed that much, in my opinion, which, I mean, I'm not trying to be too harsh because we really didn't see that much of him, but I'm not sure how much we can really take from that rookie year at all. In week two, he really whipped up on Sharice Wright. Yeah. And other than that, so did I. He didn't really, he didn't really do a whole lot as a rookie. And um, there were there have been like stories coming out that he doesn't like the cold in Cleveland. You know, it's just 
this this is a great example of he su- he was such a great prospect. He checked almost every single box, but you still have question marks. You know, it's just it, it's such a difficult thing to project. And I, I just hope that this doesn't. To the pros. Yeah, and I hope this doesn't turn into a Kevin White, Brashad Perryman situation for Corey Coleman, right? Because we still have those same questions each year for Kevin White and Brashad Perryman. And so I hope this year, especially with the Browns adding more and more weapons on this offense, along with that offensive line, obviously, and David Njoku at tight end, that maybe it helps Corey Coleman in some situations. Because obviously, like you, I mean, one of my favorite prospects of not this past draft, but the year before. And Corey Coleman was every bit an exceptional prospect. And uh, he also had a situation where he was expected to return in, I think, like four weeks from a, from a finger or hand injury. And it took him much longer. And at the time, it was chalked up to, oh, well, the Browns are tanking. Uh, you know, they have no reason to push this guy back. But, you know, thinking back in hindsight, it, it, it makes you wonder. Okay, Evan, we've gotten through the top 100, so now let's name a few late-round flyers that are our favorites. Do you have any at quarterback? First one that comes to mind is Andy Dalton, who is a player that if you have been on him every year that everybody wrote him off, which has been, I think, three years now. Oh, how many years has been in the league? I don't know, five or six. Yeah, then I would say five or six years. (laughs) No, no, no. Every year after he has a big year, people jump on him and then every year after he has a bad year people are like oh Andy Dalton he sucks yeah you know yeah so the weapons around him Josh are incredible right now yep I mean you have AJ Green as the X receiver you have John Ross as uh the the Z receiver Tyler Eifert should be he he should be healthier entering the season than he was last year for sure Joe Mixon is a pass-catching threat. A very good one out of the backfield. Definitely. And they have depth at receiver, too. I mean, Cody Core even showed some something last year. And they have a true slot guy in Tyler Boyd, too. Yeah, who who is an excellent role player. Yeah. So the question mark is the offensive line. And I think that this is different from a situation like last year, the Vikings, where they lost you know, Matt Khalil. They lost guys during the season, and they had to deal with that. The Bengals know that they have issues on the offensive line entering the year. So they, I mean, they should be able to devise an offense that accounts and compensates for that. They should be able to know their limitations. Now that's relying a lot on coaching and I don't know that, you know, coaching is perfect by any means, but they need to get the ball out of Andy Dalton's hands and to the playmakers and it's it's just it seems really really simple and there are ways to do that yeah i mean one in one in three step drops and that those are things that you can do in the nfl to compensate for poor offensive line play we will move down about five rounds because andy dalton usually goes 11th 12th round and sam bradford goes like 16th 17th round i like sam bradford um teddy Oof. Is that the first time you've ever uttered that phrase in your life? So, first of all, I like his, his, receive, I like his receiving weapons a lot. Yeah, I bet you um, have a lot of shares of Diggs and Thielen. Probably more Thielen than Diggs. Tons of Thielen. Yeah. I mean, like a ridiculous amount of Thielen. <laughs> uh, they signed Michael Floyd. You know, Treadwell still has Oh, your boy Michael potential. Floyd. This is why. This is why uh, we're having this conversation. Kyle Rudolph. <laughs> Um, I mean, they have they have some serious weapons in the passing game in Minnesota, and he's a guy who, like, he's locked in as the starter, and he plays in a defense where you can throw all over that division. I mean, you can throw on the Packers, you can throw on the the Lions, the Bears. The the Bears are not scary from a pass defense standpoint at all. And this is a guy who you get in the 16th and 17th round. The the teams where I've done best in MFL 10s have had horrible quarterback play. I mean, I I am totally resigned off like reaching for quarterbacks in MFL 10s. I'm committed to using pretty much the latest round picks possible as I can at the quarterback position just to get guys who are going to be productive every, every week. I mean, if you look at the scoring in MFL tens for quarterbacks, yeah, 
it's you know four point per uh, passing touchdown. I mean, they just they don't score that many points. Right. If you're if you are gonna use earlier picks, get running quarterbacks who are gonna run the ball in and score rushing touchdowns. If not, just wait and, and take can, you know Carson Palmer, Sam Bradford, super late. Can I ask you a, a strategy question real quick on that? Because yeah. if you're waiting that late. Do you then end up taking three quarterbacks rather than two, or do you just feel comfortable enough with just two? If you have to take Blake Bortles, I think you have to take three. <laughs> because, I mean, you also have to think about guys who have a chance to get benched. Right. You know, and I think that Alex Smith really falls into that category as well. Say this look, I think the Chiefs are going to be solid again this year, as they usually are. But if they're not solid, then we are going to see Patrick Mahomes. With the Vikings, we're not going to see anybody unless Sam Bradford gets hurt, which you know brings us back to the – I mean, nobody talks about how injury-prone Sam Bradford was you know, a year ago. I mean, it's just you know, injury-prone is just totally based on recency bias. Yeah, yeah. Um, and probably when you're going with that strategy, Evan – You'll take like a Philip Rivers or any Dalton as your first quarterback, and then, like you said, late wait until your other ones. Um, all right, so running I mean, back. Unless you can get you know Bradford and Alex Smith. Right. I just can't believe. <laughs> I cannot believe this. I mean, that was kind of a joke. Uh, maybe. I, I I bet at one point, Evan, you will have one MFL with Alex Smith and Sam Bradford. Guaranteed, you will. I'm telling you that the best my my best MFL te- ten teams every single year have horrible, just atrocious quarterback play, and like a guy who just went off at running back and a guy who went off at receiver. All right, so running back Evan, and it's kind of changing here in the last two weeks. I mean, these things change in week to week time frames. Uh, Darren Sproles, I love as anything after the tenth round. Um, and especially, I think this LeGarrette Blunt news might even push him down a bit further than where I've been taking, which is great. Uh, anytime you listen to Doug Peterson talk, the first few words out of his mouth are receiving ability, passing down ability. And LeGarrette Blunt certainly doesn't have that. I mean, Reeves on multiple occasions has discussed the difference in percentage of his fantasy production in passing downs versus running situations. And it's like one of the most drastic in the NFL. Um, and sure, and I really do think, Evan, that obviously Darren Sproles is the most veteran member of that running back stable, but I also think if one were to see many more touches than the others, I truly think Darren Sproles has a very, very good chance at it, especially where he's going in drafts. Yeah, the LeGarrette Blunt signing actually, I think, solidifies Darren Sproles' role because LeGarrette Blunt is so limited in that aspect of the game, which is the aspect of the game that wins in today's NFL. So I like Darren Sproles even more after that. Um, What about you? Any running backs you've been taking in that area? Yeah, Shane Vereen and Chris Thompson. I think you can make an argument for Shane Vereen that he is the Giants' best running back right now ahead of Wayne Gallman and Paul Perkins. And Chris Thompson, who's another running back whose role was solidified by their team's offseason addition, Samaje Perrine. While I'm leaving the P-Y. door open for him to P-Y. okay, um, while I'm leaving the door, <laughs> while, while I'm leaving the door Perrin. for, I'm leaving the the door open for uh, Perrine to be more of a receiving threat than his college statistics suggest. Yeah. Uh, you know, all signs point to him not really being a big receiving threat. So I think Chris and, and the Redskins slapped a second round tender on Chris Thompson, which is a fairly pricey tender. I mean, the, you know, the Bills lost Mike Gillisley because they did not give him a second round tender as a yeah. restricted free agent. So these are guys that you can get in the 16th and 17th round of an MFL 10, Shane Vereen and Chris Thompson, and they will give you like floors because they are going to be, assuming they stay healthy, top 35 PPR backs. And these are actually the guys that I got at the end of that um, MFL 10 of death where I took the, the three risky running backs and then I, I, I closed out my running back core with Shane Vereen and Chris Thompson. And I feel all right about that running back core. You mentioned Shane Vereen. Uh, I guarantee you we'll see Paul Perkins ADP skyrocket in the next few weeks, if not maybe a month or two from now. 
Uh, and so that might even open up even more shares for you of Shane Vereen. What was your college evaluation on Wayne Goldman? I, I, just, I hated him. Um, I, I just thought he was fine for what he is. I, I mean, he's just a guy who's aggressive when he finishes runs. But in terms of creating yards and all that kind of stuff, I, I don't think he necessarily is someone who picks up more yards other than what's blocked for him necessarily, other than maybe you know one to two extra yards on final contact. Um, I, I would point to Shane Vereen as being a better option. Um, but again, I mean, that offensive line allowed no one to run last year, and it's not like they improved that offensive line this offseason either. So it could be the same question. Um, all right, let's – well, I guess we have wide receivers and then tight ends. Let's quickly go to wide receivers. Uh, Evan, for me, in later part of MFLs, I'm looking for guys that might put up 10 to 12-point weeks a couple times per year, right? These These are just – late round shots that are big play upside types, right? That have those traits. And for me, that's Taylor Gabriel. I'm kind of surprised he's still available in many times where I am taking him, but he is. And I understand it's a new offensive coordinator, but I think even with the ball in his hands, regardless of what offense he's in, I think he can produce no matter what. Yeah. And so the thing that scares me about Taylor Gabriel, and I have zero, zero Taylor Gabriel is the OC thing because so many of his touches last year were manufactured meaning that they were a byproduct of the OC. So why don't you tell us a little bit about Steve Sarkeesian, what you know about him, and then I'm going to name the four guys that I think are interesting late-round darts at receiver. I mean, what's interesting is, Evan, it's not like we have a bulk of you know 2016 to go off of with Steve Sarkeesian, right? I mean, he coached, what, two games for them, and that's it? Like we Or one game, was it? And and he was, I, I believe, the quarterback's coach or or some kind of assistant before then. But Lane Kiffin was the offensive coordinator all season until he took the uh, FAU job, right? So for Sark, we, I mean, I guess have to go back to USC. We have to go back to uh, Washington. I mean, this is not someone that we have a lot of stuff on. But it, I, what I have read, and I guess we'll hear more and more about this, and especially in the preseason, is he's trying to mirror the same offense, but we've seen that fail in the past as well. So, and also these guys have egos. I mean, Steve Sarkeesian is, and especially well-known. Steve Sarkeesian has one. <laughs> yeah, right. Yeah, I'm I'm kind of fading Taylor Gabriel, but I mean, I, I totally understand the reasoning behind it because he has that big play potential. I like Ted Ginn in the. At like around the tenth, eleventh round turn. Yeah, I love that one. And I'm, I'm, I'm tr- yeah. what I'm trying to find here, Evan, is this year's versions of Ted Ginn because that's where we exactly. were getting him last year. Hey, man, we're all trying to do that. Yeah. Uh, Muhammad Sanu in like the sixteenth round. So if Julio goes down, so Muhammad Sanu is more of a traditional receiver than a guy like Taylor Gabriel, and I think that his role could expand in year two with Matt Ryan uh, under a new OC who's, you know, jumping into this new big, very high profile job. Um, And Muhammad Sanu is not, you know, he's not an exceptional talent, but I think he will probably be on the field more this year than he was last year. He was a little bit of a rotational receiver. And then if Julio goes down, Muhammad Sanu, I think maybe becomes the number one receiver for the Falcons. Um, And I'll talk about the tight end in in a moment. JJ Nelson. Yep. Uh, I could absolutely see him being this year's Ted Ginn in terms of, yeah. Big plays for multiple games. Yeah, so he fits that exact profile. And then Curtis Samuel. Why don't you talk a little bit about Curtis Samuel? Yeah, if you guys want to go listen to my NFC South Presser series, um, I talk a lot about Curtis Samuel. I have in other episodes as well. But look, this is a team that truly thinks that Curtis Samuel is their hybrid of Jericho Cotri and Ted Ginn. I mean, as much as they talked about him being the slot receiver immediately, which is being fed targets, uh, they also talked about Curtis Samuel, and this is Ron Rivera and Dave Gettleman, being their vertical uh, option as well and vertical threat as well. So, I mean, if if you look at this offense, Evan, they're losing 100-plus targets with Ted Ginn and Philly Brown. And then the year before, Philly Brown, Ted Ginn, and Jericho Cotri, right? And who are they going to? I, I truly think a ton of them are going to Curtis Samuel unless he just completely drops the opportunity which did you see curtis samuel make vertical plays at ohio state yeah he did a couple times i'm not gonna say it was consistently but i I agree with you he did most of his damage in the short and intermediate areas and i mean he did most of his damage with the ball in his hands as a running back but there there were a couple occasions if you 
uh, check out his highlights uh, in terms of vertical receiver, but I'm not going to say he was super natural and super comfortable in those areas. But I think they're looking at the speed here. And again, if we're talking about opportunities, I certainly think he has one of the better ones for where his ADP is right now. So there are two late round tight ends that when I get the opportunity to draft them, I'm like, yes. And one of them is Jack. Does that come with a fist pump? Like, yes. A little bit. Like a mental fist pump? (laughs) I don't do that publicly. Got it. it. Um, Jack Doyle and Martellus Bennett. Because I think that both of these guys have double-digit touchdown upside in their offenses. I think that in Indianapolis, I mean, Jack Doyle is such an easy pick. Yeah. I mean, first of all, he was a guy who at Western Kentucky – caught a ton of passes yep i mean he was incredibly productive in college and last year when given the opportunity he had the highest catch rate i think among all nfl tight ends uh and he was a a frequent target for uh andrew luck in the red zone Uh, and that was with Dwayne allen you know kind of in and out of the lineup but mostly in the lineup and jack doyle severely outplayed Dwayne allen Uh, and then martellus bennett is just such an easy easy pick i feel like you're stealing them right feel like you're stealing them so i mean sometimes people will take him in the eighth round but when you can get him in the ninth and then like jack doyle in the 10th or 11th i mean you are giving yourself huge touchdown ceiling with your tight ends pairing them with great quarterbacks with teams that are going to be in the red zone a lot i mean i think jack doyle is the best fantasy pick on it like a, a value basis uh, in the entire uh, in the entire NFL this year, I mean, I, I think he's an all. Wow. He, he could lead. I mean, with the exception of Gronk, of course, I think that he has a legitimate chance to lead all tight ends in, in touchdown catches this year. Yeah, and when we're talking about you know opportunity and and what we're looking for with tight ends, I mean, Evan, so much of it is based inside the twenty yard line, right? And you just mentioned two oh, guys. Yeah. That, that's what that's all that it comes. That's down. what it's about. That's what it's about. Uh, if you enjoyed this podcast at all, not you, Evan, but everyone listening, uh, give us a five-star review. It helps us out. And like I said, this is our 100th episode, and we really appreciate you tuning in for most of them or all of them. Uh, Evan, thanks a bunch, and I'm sure that these rankings will change. And when they do, I'll be texting you again to get you on the podcast. Sounds good, dude. Thanks for having me. The longest field goal ever attempted is 76 yards. The longest field goal ever missed? Also 76 yards. Why bring this up? Because knowing your limits matters, both when you're kicking a field goal and when you gamble. Betting more than you're comfortable with is like trying a 70-yard field goal. It probably won't go well. So set a limit when you gamble and stick to it. Want more helpful tips like this? Go to KeepItFunOhio.com for games, quizzes, and lots of ways to keep your gambling from getting out of hand. Life is a highway, and on it there will be many chicken sandwiches. But there's only one crispy. so go ahead and hit the turn signal if you know about this juicy gem of a detour.